it stopped at ten, it's verbal highs. Let's start the show with Lewis Tennant. Here we go. Guests and interviews that you're looking for with creators, innovators, and so much more. For all episodes and further info, verbalhighs.com is the place to go. All right, welcome to Dr. Tennant's Verbal Highs, a podcast podcasted from Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, New Zealand. My name is Lewis. I'm the host of the show. Hi. Hello. G'day. Um, I've left the window open behind me uh, for some, some atmospheric sounds of inner city Auckland, um, where it appears a, uh, a, a troop, a collective of uh, vagrants. Is that is that a... Is that a term to cause offence? It's not meant to. Let's see, vagrant. A person without a settled home or regular work who wanders from place to place and lives by begging. Well, the last bit I'm not sure of, so that's a little unfair. Um, Actually, I'm not um, sure of all of it, so it's all quite an unfair statement. But there is a crunk soundtrack uh, behind me outside the window and um, uh, a collective of hobos... (laughs) Oh, terrible. A collective of hobos have rested their bindles and their weary souls to that soundtrack. It's lovely stuff. Um, Funnily enough, in this episode, what comes up uh, as one of the topics is, in fact, uh, reconciling one's uh, social values, social outlook, with uh, then also being a homeowner. Um, I chatted about that with my guest today, uh, Yadana Saw from, well, from Wellington. Um, I was going to say, I'm sort of funny about, you know, giving people identities through their work. I was going to say from RNZ, from Radio New Zealand, where she's, um, well, I'm describing her as a a music journalist, uh, a radio presenter and a audio storyteller. For my money, she's one of the best um, people on the radio in New Zealand at the moment. So that's lovely. I do try and pay her a couple of um, such compliments on the show, but there's some, some great... In the great New Zealand tradition, uh, deflecting, deflection of praise. But no, it's a lovely chat. We chatted uh, about, um, we chatted about, what did we chat about? We chatted about Newtown. That's exciting. Um, we chatted about interview and conversation techniques. I chatted about that weird moment which um, Yudana um, referred to as, as, as Zoom purgatory when I waited for uh, her in the, in the Zoom room alone. And it, did, it does some amazing, some amazing digital um, hair and makeup happens, I'll tell you, when you suddenly end up in the room. I looked far, I looked far more uh, presentable. When when a second person entered, uh, we talk podcast gripes. We talk uh, student radio. She made an excellent student radio documentary um, on RNZ a few years back, which is um, which is how uh, it's led to her as in her words, uh, never giving her swipe card back after that after that project at RNZ. Uh, we talk about um, the trajectory of a few of the student stations. We talk about uh, university, uh, the trajectory of uh, life in general. Um, she talks about writing a book that's called The Next, an impression of hip-hop expression um, with Sarah Tamati and uh, Danica uh, Waiti. Uh, we talked about the soundtrack of taxis and how an inquiring passenger, such as myself and uh, herself, as she made it into a radio feature, um, can, can bear fruits... Of musical knowledge. That's how I found about about Bally Sagu, big uh, Indian super DJ. Don't you know? In Melbourne, when I asked, God, that's a while ago, probably fifteen years ago. Time flies. Uh, check out 
a bunch of Yadana's work via the 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 wireless, the FM tuner on RNZ, or probably um, even easier in terms of archival material, the RNZ website, which is really well resourced with great stuff these days from all their creators and people of input. Um, we also talked about her heritage right towards the end, which was. Very compelling. I, I sort of had it on the notes to come up earlier in the episode, but the way conversations go, sometimes you have to leave stuff, but we kind of did a bit of a dip into that towards the end, um, and, and I found out the, the difference or the reasoning between choosing to call Burma Burma or call Burma Myanmar. I will now call it Burma. Um, and, uh, you know, my way to, to, to learning about cultures is often through my, um, my stomach. And so I've been flicking through my complete Asian cookbook, which is quite a quite a work that came out in the nineteen seventies. An Australian, um, I, I'm not sure what she is, a chef, author, uh, Charmaine Solomon. And now I'm, I'm deep in the Burmese section, but I do need to know, listeners, if anyone can tip me off to a good Burmese restaurant in New Zealand, even better, Auckland, that would be fantastical. Uh, rate and comment on the show on Apple Podcasts, follow and subscribe on whatever podcast portal you employ and like the show on Facebook at Verbal Highs Podcast, Twitter at Verbal Highs, also have a website uh, verbalhighs.com where you'll also find something I'm tapping away at when I get the time, um, a New Zealand podcast directory, a list of over 350 plus New Zealand podcast series with clickable links to audio for each entry. This is Dr. Tannen's Verbal Highs. Hello. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Good. Did you want this on just audio? Um, yes. <laughs> uh, if you um, don't want to be face to face, that's fine. Yeah. Oh no, that's no. It's hang on a sec. Let me just start my video then. I've been. Um, hello. Yeah. Hi. Are you at work? I am at work. Excellent. I've, it's it's weird being in a. Have you been in a Zoom room on your own for a length of time? Yes. It's weird sitting there it's like a, looking at yourself. It's like, it's like purgatory. <laughs> I was just thinking, um, you are probably about to experience something I have a distinct memory of realizing I was experiencing for one of the first times with you when I went to RNZ and suddenly realized I was the one in the interviewee seat. Yeah. And I suddenly had so much more respect for all the people I'd talked to over all the years because it's actually like... I think it's it's um it's a bigger job in some ways, right? Yeah, it made me realise how important um, asking a question is in terms of the answer you want. Like when you're on the other side, it's like, oh, what do you actually mean? But at, at the same time, it's like because you know what people want, you can say, what did you what do you actually want me to say? Blah blah blah. So, do you think there's yeah? do you think there's more? I think there's maybe more. You, you have more pressure on yourself if you've been. In the question asking seat for years because you're so aware of the kind of mechanics of it all. Yeah, yeah. But then sometimes it means that you do, you can just say, okay, what is it you actually want? You How do you want to, me to say it? I can you, do you, that. You, you know, talk, that kind of thing. You, I've, I've noticed that with some people. Yeah, absolutely. How do you um, prep for, for interviews? Like, you may notice that I lead with an anecdote. Like, how do you. Do you have like a plan for how to warm to people? Because I'm thinking like, and I, you would have done way more of these than I have. Like, um, I've had those moments where you get like 15 minutes with someone who's done oh, God, 10 those hours. Are awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you have some kind of way of kind of trying to charm them in when that's what everyone else is probably trying to do as well? Uh, 
I'll, I'll, I'll let you on one trick, yeah. which is to ask what everyone's, what are they sick of talking about? What's everyone asked them about? That's always a good one. Do they ever say, I get asked that all the time as well? No, no, because <laughs> most people don't ask how they are. Right, well, as you may have noticed, we're um, straight into it with mm-hmm. with this one. Have you listened to any of these? It's okay if you haven't. There's so much content I think I've listened to a, Yeah, I've listened to a couple of them, yeah. Great. We're up to about, um, I think you'll be 98, so I'm, I'm not prolific, prolific. It's one of those things where, like, when I started it, someone said, um, or I read somewhere, like, back when blogs were a much bigger thing, like, the mark of success for a blog is if it kind of is still going after a year, like, in terms of if you're still... Mm-hmm. doing stuff for it. So mm-hmm. I did 50 in the first year. I look back and don't actually know how I did that on top of everything else. And yeah, that's quite of, impressive. Right. But it's sort of dropped down since. So I'm trying to get about 25 this year and sort of one every two, three weeks, yeah. I guess. So welcome. Thank you. <laughs> we start um, kind of with a bit of a kind of an origin story. So are you, were you born in, in Wellington? I was, yeah. I was, yep, first in my family. I like kind of carbon dating people because I think it's good for listeners, that's a sort of a roundabout way of saying how old are you, when were you born, what year? Uh, I was born in 1978 and um, with many other um, people of the time, born at St. Helens Hospital, which I can, maternity hospital, which I can see from my backyard, so I haven't gone very far. Where's that? In Newtown, in Wellington. Oh, you mean just w- new- mm-hmm. being born in Wellington Hospital, pretty much? Well, it used to be a separate maternity hospital oh. away from the main hospital. So, you know, it's this idea that maternity was different to, you know, a medical condition, I suppose you could say. Yeah. Um, but now it's an apartment block that I can see from my garden. And is that where you had your kids? No, I had them, uh, I walked down the road to have them at uh, Wellington Regional Hospital, yeah. but the interesting thing was that um, there's a photo of me with the midwife in St. Helens Hospital, and it turns out she also looked after my kids, so and we good. figured that out at my second child. I was like, hang on a minute. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. It's a very Wellington story. A very Wellington story. And so you went to school in... Um, in Newtown. Newtown, yep. Yeah. New- Newtown so School. I went to... Uh, no, I went to the school behind there, which was St. Anne's Primary, the little Catholic school, where, you know, you're a minority if you're Pākehā there. So it was lots of um, Pacific Island kids and immigrant kids, and yeah, I was in there amongst all of them. That's the same as Newtown School, though, as well at the time, right? Yes, yes. And then my mum would make me do this terrible thing of, oh, just cut through Newtown School. It's, you know seconds faster to get to school it's like that that's that's a walk of death and <laughs> my what do you ugly mean? little what school uniform that? oh on the uniform right yeah cross <laughs> enemy lines jeez but now my kids go to newtown school so how much is as newtown newtown's changed a lot right yes yes oh i think it's i think it's, it's an interesting one. It's kind of retained. Yes, there's an enduring spirit in yeah. Newtown. But, uh, you know, we've seen our first Range Rover parked in the driveway of uh, a freshly bought property. So that that's a bit worrying. Why? Sorry, Range Rover owners. <laughs> Why? Well, you know, that's the beginning of gentrification. Yeah. And I think then the expectations of what your local school provides, how much noise people can make in the neighborhood, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. whether you just... You know, New, Newtown's a very live and let live community. 
Um, you can have as many loud parties as you like. No one, no one bothers anyone. But you know that'll start to change as people have to spend nearly two million dollars to buy their house. Yeah. They're going to want their precious sleep in silence. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing that um, you probably don't find yourself in the middle of town late at night these days. But um, what's going no. on with all this press coverage about Wellington? Is it just is it just press mania, or is it is it murder and chaos in the streets? Well, uh, compared to when you were lurking around the inner city streets of twenty plus Wellington, years ago, there are a lot more transient. Yeah, uh, there's a bigger transient community. You know, we used to know Bucket Man and Blanket Man, and yeah, right. you know, Private Dancer. You know, we knew our um, characters by name, and now there's a lot more people on harder times living on the streets, and that's a huge change in my lifetime in, in Wellington. You know, like, let's not forget, Manners Mall used to have those communities of street kids and yeah, they yeah. were glue sniffing in, in the 80s. So I'm not trying to make it like there weren't social problems before, but I think back, I just think that the help's not as accessible and it's really, there, there's not really a pathway for people to um, get themselves out of that as easily. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, so there, there's that aspect. It's a, it's a big, it. it's a big topic. It's the same up here, and it's funny you're talking about um, gentrification, and and I've been like trying to reconcile myself now as someone who owns property, and then oh, yeah. in, We're my, in my scum. in my building, um, we've had similar problems where like my values are pushing up against what I want from owning a property and we've got kind of similar problems you describe in inner city Wellington happening in our building and it's sort of like everyone needs a place to live but a lot of people are being found emergency housing but in our building but not being given a whole lot of other support they need and that makes living here quite uh, it's been quite sort of um stressful in the last few months you know it's such a yeah. big, it's such a big topic <laughs> it is and you know people don't mean to land up in these situations no. it's because yeah. they're vulnerable or you know it's just things have not fallen their way life is just harder for some people and you know i guess the only thing i would say about that is as someone who has a stable job like yourself or owns a place we're in an immense immensely privileged position to um, support people like that, you know, or to be at least compassionate towards that. This went quite deep. I'm going to take anything quickly. away from you. <laughs> What's that? This went quite deep, quite quickly. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you stay in? Did you did you do all your schooling in Wellington? No, no. We moved to Whangarei when I was eight, which was quite a trip from living in, in Wellington. You Would know, you describe you have, it as a culture shock? Whangarei is very um, different to Wellington in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Like yep. being an Asian immigrant family moving up to the winterless north, you know, where shoes were optional when you go to school and you can buy half the ingredients you needed to make your, you know, for mum to make the, the food we were accustomed to. You know, you, can even buy, you couldn't even buy a sack of rice in Whangarei. It was, it was quite a culture shock, but... Um, so you were kind of New Zealand washed by your like you couldn't find you couldn't find kind of you had to drive down to Auckland comforts. to like you know go stock up yeah, on right. the fish sauce and whatnot. Did you feel like a kind of an other in that regard at school? Oh, hell yeah! Ooh yuck! What's in your <laughs> lunchbox? Ooh yuck! What's that? Really? 
Yeah. Kids are oh, you ruthless, know, like, man. Uh, yeah, and, you know, my mum and I used to get followed around shops. What? We might, yeah, like people off? are like, you? No, you wouldn't have experienced racism. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, the 80s and 90s in New Zealand was a totally, you know. Who said you wouldn't place. have experienced racism? A lot of people. Because, right. you know, I... Just, I'm one of those day walkers. I totally pass as white with my, you know, proper broadcasting, talking and whatnot. Yeah, and, and also, like, in terms of, like, um, the kind of um, stereotype of the quote-unquote Asian, you're not, you, you know, you don't look Chinese or Japanese yeah, or whatever. But, so there's that yeah. as well. Oh, but, you know, there are only two categories when you're at school. It's either you're... A, Curry munching Indian or Ching Chong Chinese is like there was no other spectrum of Asian. Yeah, so I get it on both hits. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, and did you, like with Whangarei, did you, you enjoyed the experience outside of, outside Apparently of that? I always claimed that I was coming back to Wellington. Yeah. Because, you know, I couldn't handle it leave? as I once said in a debating, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a debate. These, these peasants, mere ignorant peasants of the north. Um, that's what I once – oh, it's debating. You're supposed right. to say stuff like that, yeah. right? You know, you've got to get into the rhetoric. But, yeah, I always claim to be coming back to the more uh, – um, the city life. <laughs> the city life. And now I'd do anything to go back up there and, you know, kick around with jandals till the middle of winter. How old were you when you left? I left for uni. No, 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 when you left Wellington. Eight. eight How did you develop such a strong identity as as a Wellingtonian by eight? Or was it Uh, more kicking back against the move, like wanting to go back to what you knew? Oh, a little bit of that, because all my uncles and aunts and grandmother were still in Wellington, so my heart was always here, and I still had a couple of friends I kept in touch with, you know, wrote letters and, um, you know, would sort of – even as teenagers, arranged to meet to go to our first concerts and, and stuff like that. Um, it's a funny thing. Um, I did, I changed schools for my final year um, in like seventh form, year 13. And even then, the teachers had gone, uh, <laughs> You didn't hear that. Um, what was that? Oh, no, my, my, co- um, the Zen, I sit next to Zen. Um, you have to do some editing. Um, anyway, my, my one, the school I hadn't even been there for a year managed to clock who I was and go, oh, this is Yadana. She's off to go do her degree in politics yeah. uh, and is off to join the Cafe Society. You know, so they, 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 they got my number by the time I was 17. What did you study when you came back down? Politics and anthropology. Yep. And I did that through to postgrad. And did you have any broadcasting aspirations back then? Because the active wouldn't have been on campus then, right? It would have just left. I think it had. I think it would have just left. Oh, yeah. but you know, radioactive was an impenetrable haven of all the cool kids and boys. You know, so yeah. I, I I rolled around with the the students' association lot and with Salient. So okay. I think my first first job for Salient was as the sports reporter. With, with an interest in sports, or. Mm. Yeah. yeah, of course. Playing sports? Yeah. Yeah. What are your sports? Football. Football all the way. Um, right. But I've played rugby, cricket, netball, volleyball, badminton. Um, yeah. 
have given it worst worst sport I ever tried was lacrosse. So, Do not recommend. I've actually given American Pie. It's, it's a strange sport. It's not fun to get hit in the head with one of those balls. I think those are all the sports I did. So funny you're saying that about um, active. Like, I've, I've heard that before. It's funny, like, because I was involved you're in the You're in the team. You wouldn't understand. Yeah, yeah no, but, but I think it's always like, it's two things. I think it's kind of um, youth because you overcame that and ended up involved with active later. But also it's funny how people view things from the outside because it was basically just a bunch of kind of like misfits and weirdos and slightly nerdy people rather than kind of cool people, I think. No, but it's that thing of you, you do become a clique or, you know, you people do become a bit patch protective or whatever. I mean, you know, my first after school job was, other than packing tomatoes, was working in a music store. And Where? even then I still did not, um, you know, radioactive just seemed absolutely impenetrable. So, and there was a lot of drum and bass at that time. It just seemed like endless drum and bass and dub music. That I was think, the time I think you just described when Wellington it. fell into that dub coma. Yeah, that's what I've heard you say before. It was funny, I heard you say that because I listened to a bit of your chat with Simon and um, then you sort of did an about turn and described basically a love of a whole lot of music really similar anyway. But, yeah. uh, but I, I do I do hear you that for a while there, like when I'd come back, I think kind of early 2000s, it did seem like when you turned it on, <laughs> it was a very similar soundtrack to life. Um, Whereas it sounds amazing now. I mean, I have to sort of caveat that with um, being involved with the board of Radioactive, but I'm just so excited about it. It's There's new presenters on there, and there's such an interesting way of um, compiling music. If anything... I think the thing that's endured is people's passion and, and love of music, but it definitely doesn't have that wankery. Yeah, <laughs> and also, look, I think... You know, and, and it's interesting because you will hear pop music put next to some classic music. Yeah, yeah. And I would say it's more of a, um algorithmic way of liking music where... Yeah. That then say, these are the artists I must play because I'm wedded to... Only playing cool stuff. I think there's another thing that's gone on recently that's really crucial. And, I mean, you, if anyone knows about the history of student radio, which we'll talk about later because you made that amazing doco. But, um, you know, not not unique to active. Um, what happened, I don't know when it started happening, a lot of people just started sticking around very long term. I'm talking kind of mm. announcers. And some of those people, you know, still have their slots and they deserve them. But... There's been a big shake of the rug a lot of um, places, and it's happened active recently, and I think it's really healthy. And even just like having a young woman do the breakfast show for a start. And, you know, and we've a, got a young woman as the program director. Program director, and right. it's yeah. As well, yeah. as well. And I think there's definitely you know, radioactive, or maybe sort of that student radio network, are those places where the umbrella or the one sort of the, the connective tissue is a love of music. Yeah. So you've got your specialists, old heads, and then you've got, you know, the young, young blood. And I think they, that music is such a great cut through for people to connect on whatever age, whatever gender, ethnicity, you know, you, think about like- you see that you see that in, you know, particular crowds and particular artists of whom they will attract. Say so like so. For example, I mean, how old are your like how old are your kids? 
11 and 8, and both of them are like, we don't like music as much as we <laughs> Okay, so there's that. But I'm thinking, you know, the other thing is, it's such a, again, it's another one of those really big topics, like, um, you know, how do you appeal to people like, I don't know, 14, 15 onwards, who that's kind of when people used to discover active, it's a kind of a number I pulled out of my head then, you know, how do you attract people? people in that generation to radio these days like i mean even just teaching i find just the what do you call it like the you know the battle for attention there's just yeah like, there are just so many options beaming at people at such I a rate think you know that if you look at tiktok or youtube which my kids predominantly what that's the platform they watch things on people still like stories and yeah. people still like being spoken to yeah and that's one of the great things about radio is that there's someone talking to you. There's someone holding your hand and guiding you there, you know, particularly um, the lockdown probably, you know, there's periods of lockdowns we've had is the time where, you know, radio had huge growth, you know. It's, yeah. the, it's the cockroach that won't die in media, say, compared to, say, print or television, and yeah. no one ever predicted this, and the growth of podcasts, right? Yeah. You know, public radio and the kind of radio I make is the essentially the original podcast. You know, those sort of 25-minute things where you do a deep dive on something, and they are super intensive, but really rewarding things to make. I don't know if I answered your um answered your question that's you know, right again, i can't remember what my podcasts. question was i can't listen to podcasts anymore because i can hear how they're made and i get really finickety about the kind the quality of editing or yeah, yeah. The, or, or, or you know the the narrative devices that i can see through but i probably don't use as judiciously or um skillfully as other presenters and producers do do any come to mind that are like you know unfwithable in terms of their quality in that regard i listen to a lot as well and i kind of teach a podcasting course now so having said that i know it's really putting you on the spot like if someone said to me name your favorite um tune at the moment i'd probably struggle with that so if you haven't got an answer that's fine but are there any impeccable podcasts yeah my 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 Nightly bedtime story that I have to go to sleep I've, I've to is the um, Reddit Today I Learned podcast. Right. Perfect. Where it's about seven minutes long and it's a computer <laughs> voice that reads out the 25 top Today I Learned posts. Um, and that's, I can do that because I can't hear any editing. I can't hear someone's voice getting annoying. Uh, I I don't complain, you know, I can't hear whether the music's like jarring or anything like that or whether a presenter's or a producer's talking way too much, which seems to be a feature of the American narrative form. It's like, guys, someone needs to edit your script. You could say about 30% less. Another one with editing that really irks me and it's come, I think it's a... a I don't care what you think. Just tell me what the story is. I don't care what you thought about it as you were trying to find this guest to interview i really don't care a different um problem like you're i think if you're talking about editing in terms of the smoothness of the cuts but just editing of the content one that really irks me and i've learned to like kind of do my homework before i listen to stuff now you know how true crime podcasts are kind of the big i guess kind of more mainstream audience podcast it really Mm -hmm. irks me when i listen to 14 episodes of a true crime podcast about one case and then around episode 12 it dawns on me this could have been three episodes yeah why have you been dragging me down this garden path 
for all of yeah. these hours. It's sort of like a, it's it's almost like a con. You know, that's how I feel. It's like trying to get you locked in for something that ultimately is quite underwhelming. And you've spent yeah, so much time listening to it. Yeah, which is why I don't listen to, to them. It's a better. It's you know, in the same way, I should probably break up with social media because <laughs> I feel so. Um, yeah, you know, just my opinion of myself just lowers when I've just scrolled for three hours. It's the same thing with podcasts like that. It's like I could have, I could have made something in that time, or I could have gone and talked to someone I was supposed to talk to, you know, checked in on someone rather than drifting off into podcast lane. Or you know, I could have caught up on all those classic albums that I'm so ignorant of that I pretend like I've listened to and I haven't. You know, yeah, um, time well, better spent. Another the battle for attention. Another observation I made with podcasting is I, I remember my grandfather just it just seemed so terribly boring when I was a kid, like having this constant audio feed of a voice all the time i think it was probably national radio or whatever and now i'm now i'm post 40 that is me it's not music it's not music it's headphones in with constant podcasts talking talking information 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 it switches like do you find that you still listen the kind of i mean is it still part of your job to listen to that level i'm kind of i'm projecting on you here because i just don't listen to as much music as i used to and i'm fine with that because I've listened to so much in the past. I'm, I guess I'm kind of talking about priority priorities changing and, and interests changing and so on. Well, I guess this is why I love my job, because I'm forced to have to listen to new music. Yeah. Uh, and it's like you're always wanting that hit, you know, that yeah. hit you get when you first discovered music and there's something that you just absolutely relish. It's like delicious. It's You just want more and more of it. Like that sense of... Um, finding a song or finding an artist or a new album definitely it's still there. And is that still is that still in like, terms of it being you know on a most pragmatic getting level, excited, part just of getting your you know ch- just getting that feeling that really um, what do you call it? I, I, it's a it's a word that always turned up in Bill Gosden's um, film. Festival the fe- the feel palpable, the, palpable. Oh, the, I was going to say palpable. the feels. Yeah, he always used palpable. I, was like, I used to play my own bingo game in the film festival. Rest in peace, Bill Gosden. Thank you. So, is that part of because um, your your key role at RNZ is still on Music One Hundred and One, right? Uh, not not hosting, actually, but on the on the team. Yeah, I'm on the team, and I make just music related content. So that's quite a nice big scope. So, like a program director on a on a on a on a station, like say um, one of the BNet stations, you get sent a whole lot of music and no, press releases. No, that not you... really. I go okay. out and search for it. Okay. So, uh, again, thank you to all the labels and publicists. But also, sometimes it's really fun to just find things off the grid. Like that's, I think, if you're a big music fan or something, there's still. I don't know if this is still relevant, but I still get some kind of kick out of finding something that hasn't been written about a pitchfork or hasn't been sent to me by a label or a publicist. If I find something myself and just so, I don't know, that just has some kind of cachet or authenticity of, oh, I've sniffed something out that 
And then do you pitch no, that? that needs you, to be heard. If that's going to be a story, do you go and like, is, how does it work? Do you pitch it to the rest of the team in terms of like, I'm thinking, say, filling a timetable or a, a program of, of Music 101, for example? Oh, God, I am the least disorganised. Let it be known, I am the least disorganised member. Least organised or disorganised? Disorganised. I'm the most disorganised. Oh, you are the, the most disorganised. The, the, the least. That, doesn't answer, my, that does, doesn't answer my question. Like, how do you, how do you guys decide what? Is in a freestyler, yeah. Um, how do I? Oh, just you know, throw it around the team. Just go. Oh, has anyone heard this? And we think of where it might land best. So that could be: should it be played on a show? Should I play it in pocket edition? Oh, maybe we should just try and get an interview with that person. Yeah, any of those. And then the it's over- quite organic. The overall- quite, it's quite organic or quite instinctive. Assuming the overall show is a composition unto itself, how do you guys decide on things like balance of stories or topics or artists or, you know, is there consideration that's as always, to how That's each... always been driven by the presenter and the producer. Right. So, Which is currently so what, so what I was saying is, um, yes, I do do stuff for Music 101, but I primarily work for RNZ Music, which is basically covers off any music-related content across – RNZ National and digital and online platforms. So like so Jesse's Jesse in the afternoons, so I, for example. Yeah, afternoons, yeah, yeah. Yeah. or it could be for nights, or it might be that I'll talk about an artist in my slot on 9 to noon. Um, I have a weekly hour-long program called The Pocket Edition, which is a bit of a digest of um, music content from across national, so that might replay interviews from... Music 101 or Afternoons with Jesse Mulligan or Jim Mora or even Kim Hill and and Catherine Ryan and so forth. So then I might slot in some music there or I might do a little interview for that there. So it's more about figuring out where something will land across the station, which is a really nice thing to do because people here really think quite carefully of where things will sit best. So back on the... um, the, uh timeline of one's life trajectory mm-hmm. you thought active was too cool for you when you were at uni mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming as a i don't know vaguely 18 to 21 year old undergrad mm-hmm. um i was busy being an activist then. yeah I, I was wondering about that too what were the what were the issues that you were you were mainly agitating for or against <laughs> all of them all of them just anything it's, that it's, came along there's a protest, yeah, I was there. I wouldn't call rent a We crowd, need more chips in the vending machines in the union building. No, no. Sorry, that's no. M- it's minimising uh, your your political leanings. So, yeah, what uh, were you involved with? I think it was, I mean, it started with, you know, student-related things of free education, well, you know, um, welfare, because, you know, student loans were a huge issue back then. Oh, totally. Um, but there it was, was, there was still interest there. on them, eh? There was still, you still had to pay interest? Yeah. yeah. What is it, like? Between six to nine percent interest the minute you rung up and just said, oh, "Can I have five thousand dollars in my oh, account tomorrow?" Try people were getting over ten grand in their account as eighteen-year-olds. The bar when I was there only a few years before you, the bar in the union building used to put a sign out referencing loan day when loan day was on. Come and do you come know and buy that beer? it takes ninety-seven <laughs> jugs, empty jugs of beer, to get from the floor of the atrium to the roof of the atrium? Why have you done that? I have contributed to that, yes. 
it's all right, it's 4% beer, it's not really beer. That's right, I think it was probably just tui, tui and tui. Okay, we veered from the very serious student um, occupation of activism to stacking um, student loan paid for beer jugs to the top of the union building. Um, yep. So yeah, there was uh, fees. Well, it st- yeah, it started with student loans and fees yeah. and then moved into, I guess, what would now be seen as the beginnings of wealth inequality then. Yeah. You know, so things like the Employment Contracts Act um, was pretty anti-globalisation, all those sort of free trade um, um, plans, um, just wanting just think, wanting things to be a lot fairer. Um, climate change would come into that. Um, you know, a lot of the – it's really depressing. A lot of the things we were – kind of rallying oh, against totally. uh, the problems that are manifested now. Did you ever kind of like look back at what students were doing following? Like this is totally anecdotal from me, but it felt like because I started teaching 10 years ago and mm. the thing I noticed. You don't have the time. I don't well, think no, well, I just, the yeah, time. Well, I, I just think there's a, again, it's a really big topic, but students just seemed really notably not very politicized when I first kind of started teaching and I'm kind of I feel like with Generation Z it's kind of coming back again. Generation Z feel like the next Gen X's to me in a way but you're saying it's more a practical thing a pragmatic thing like there's, you've got your, you've got your part time job, you've got your full you uni timetable. You don't have the luxury that yeah. you used to of just floating around on campus and you know I'd say a lot of my degree in my study actually took place by hanging out at the bar yeah, or hanging yeah, out with people in the yeah, library. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, you get a different quality to your learning that now it's so, um, you know, again, it's, it's that market model of teaching. You also, you could afford to live on a student allowance back in those days, you know, and have a part-time job and there was still change to go out drinking and buying new clothes. I bought, like, even not on student loan, I swear I bought more clothes as a 20-something year old <laughs> than I do now yeah, as an adult working. I think, that, again, there's I, don't, I, don't, I just felt like I had more disposable income and I was still saving. So I think everything's more structured and, and regimented. So uh, that, more internal assessment, on, for example. On, the, on that point with the structured and regimented, like another thing I noticed is, like, again, anecdotal. I have, I have no data, done no study. But um, just that era seemed like um, that kind of – um, how do you put it? It's the NCEA mindset. No, I've no, got no, to no, 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 but also complete on, the assessment. But no, 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 but separate to no. that, like on campus, like there's nowhere to put posters and no one does and they're very obedient. There's no graffiti anywhere. There's no, like it's a, that, it's a generation that sort of like, there's cameras everywhere. Like the, the kind of, do you know what I'm getting at there? Like there's less room to do a whole lot of that on campus stuff because it's all a lot more, controlled and understood as controlled from above? That sounds very Orwellian, doesn't it? It does, but also <laughs> let's not forget how uh, much more fancy and high-spec the facilities are for students now than they ever were in the time. Oh, you've got to see my building sometimes. It's crazy. I go, I mean, like, you know, I, I would have crawled over broken glass to have access to some of the equipment that those guys do. I went through and they go, the new first years, um, they messy go, creative, yeah, whatever. Yeah, like, like the messy, cre- uh, the new uh, creative media production space. Yeah. And I sort of say to the student, students, 
when you come and work in an IRL, it's not as fancy as here. You know, they've got rehearsal rooms where you've just got every we- single it's every single cable is patched in. You just have to plug into the wall. They've got ADR suites. They've got Hello. We've got like they've got everything. We've got two identical amongst a whole lot of other stuff because we have so many different majors in my degree. But we've got two identical radio studios that every radio industry person who I've um, seen go through them has always said without prompting, "This is better than our studio setups because basically because it's not used as much and it's kind of relatively new." So yeah, but um, it's that whole thing of like that other thing that that, that access to technology now. Like I heard someone. Um, actually, it was Chuck D of all people talking about how everyone's got this device in their hand now, and it's that whole like stopping thinking of it as a toy and starting to realise the power of it as a tool. And I really mm-hmm. get that. I, I that really made an impression on me with my students. Like it's all so at their fingertips now, but you can so easily go really frivolous directions with it or really constructive directions with it you know like i feel like there's often a collective shrug at how much gear we do kind of have yeah yeah i mean isn't it um steve lacy from the internet who also produced some kendrick lamar tracks oh you mean the his... band i thought you meant from the world wide web i was like that's quite oh a... god that band, band was so hard to find and do research on at the start when they first popped well, off you google the but, internet um, he's he's he is I think he is definitely an iOS producer. Like he does everything either on his phone or just on his laptop. Yeah. yeah. He's super lo fi. Yeah. Amazing, eh? But just gets the job done. It could just as easily switch over to Insta for half an hour, an hour, lose that part of the day. So, yeah. um, we kind of got there with the activism. And now I'm interested in, 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 in how you actually finally ended up on air somewhere, I don't know how many oh, okay. years later. This, this one's good. Um, I, I, <clears throat> after I'd worked in the development education space, and so I did a lot of work in youth development when I first finished university, um, myself and Specs, um, who is Sara Tamati uh, of the very, very uh, talented Tamati family, which includes Lady Six. Yeah. Um, the broader Ainga, which also includes Scribe, their cousin. Um, she and I worked on a project to um, re- use hip-hop as a tool of education with young people in the youth worker space. So we wrote a book about hip-hop and how it's an uh, empowering Oh, wow. Got it somewhere. Yeah. We, we, we wrote a book about hip hop and we used, uh, because that was a time when hip hop was huge with young people, but adults were still like, whoa. R- roughly, roughly early 2000s, I'm guessing. Yeah. 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 So, you know, then that's when the hip hop summits were still happening and things like that. So I did that and then I thought, mm, I'm going to go back and do some more study. So I off to Canterbury University in Christchurch to do my MA in anthropology down there. And then while I was there, I thought, um, why oh, anthrop- I hang on, hang on, why, why anthropology? That's my major. Yeah, why? I love it because it's such a fascinating subject. Great. Yep. And um, my MA topic was looking at online social communities. Yep. And so this is like pre-Facebook, pre-MySpace. And yeah, it's one of, one of an, an yet another unfinished thread in my life where I started this um, looking into online social communities and how people build 
um, movements and how they um, construct their sense of self um, through that the sounds, online. Because that, that was, sounds that was very weird. similar to my PhD topic in a lot of ways. Yeah. Oh, about the record stores. Well, it was more about yeah online communities. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. less about me, more about you. <laughs> so I did that, and but then I got um, it took way way longer than it should have because. I end up just walking into RDU and filling in a vol- volunteer form. Ah, that thought, sounds oh, finally give it a go. Even though it's a, it's a there's higher stakes arguably in postgrad. That sounds very much how I describe my time at Vic, in that I, scra- oh, my- I scraped through a BA, but I didn't realise at the time I kind of did a broadcasting apprenticeship. Yeah, because I was yeah. at the station uh, all the thank- time, even when I wasn't doing shows, just soaking it all up. Yeah, and it's the only time I was really – because um, I'm not someone who's good at practice. I'm not someone who's good at um, detailed work, but I just like to be good at something as soon as I do it without any prior research. <laughs> like, it's like, well, I should just be good at this. Like, what do you mean? I have to, like, practice or work at it. Anyway, it was the first thing I ever did where I walked in, did some talking on the radio, played some songs, walked out of the voice booth, and the PD and everyone was just, like, clapping – I was like, ah. Oh, well, I don't know how often people people say this to you, but I think there's, there's things that some people just have a natural aptitude for, and you are a very good broadcaster, and I think that, that part of that, I shouldn't say this as someone who teaches elements of radio, I think part of that just can't be taught, you know? So that's yeah. probably what you found then, which is I awesome. Like, oh. <laughs> I mean, I, I cringe to listen back to that stuff It doesn't now. matter. Someone spotted it in you straight away, which is what I'm saying. So that's great. Yeah, so then I just... Got did a degree in RDU basically. Nice. And from did you that, did you finish um, the masters? Pardon me. Did you finish the masters? Oh, many years later. <laughs> Details. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many years. I later. think you prioritise things right. Hindsight being twenty twenty, and I think I didn't need to tell you that. So here we go. Yeah. Well, I mean, my everlasting regret is that I never wrote a paper from my um from my MA at that time, which would have been, you know, this is a time when internet research was saying it's either utopian or dystopian, yeah, 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 but yeah. I went off into some other thing. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Um, I also tried to, like, examine celebrity and do online social communities, so probably a bit too broad for an MA. Yeah. Nonetheless, um, while I was there, they um, RDU turned 30. Yeah. So they got me to do the research for that the history of the 30th anniversary. And the, the research was, was something they were going to do, a, like a, a documentary about it or something like that? No, they just wanted someone to do the research. Get into the archives, yeah, just, yeah. Just, you know, this is, pre, this is pre-podcasts and all that kind of thing. It was more like, oh, maybe we'll get um, various alumni to um, be guests on the show or invite oh, them look, to things and that sort of stuff. At the moment. I'll write little profiles on them and so forth. And then as I was doing that, I thought, ah, oh, I think there's, there's something more to this. Like, there could be something for all the student radio stations. You see where this is going, right? I do. Yeah. What but, year was that? Uh, RDU must have turned 30 in 2005 or six. Oh, wow. So it's still a few years before the before that seed was, was planted and... Yeah, I was sitting on it for ages. At RNZ, it's a great idea. Just as a quick yeah. aside, I'm I doing, went and had children. I'm doing this at the. Well, that's a that's a fairly um, substantial reason to leave it for a while. Um, I'm doing at the moment. Um, Audio Culture asked me to do a four thousand word history of 
the whole of Active from 1977 oh, to now. I can share so much material <laughs> with you that I didn't use. Oh, that would be great. That's not why yeah. I brought it up, but that would be great. Um, what I'm finding is, like, just thinking about when you embarked on that process is um oh, it's not bear some, in mind, i've never made anything for rnz before no i was just going to say that no no, that. no 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 with the with the with the 30 years of rdu um mm-hmm. what i've quickly realized is there's not actually really a lot substantive written or covered about active over the years because why would other media organizations cover it there's kind of like john campbell started there samantha hayes worked there roy's been there 40 plus years all really important and interesting kind of facts and parts of history so the tact i've taken is and and again it's like i've i've you know label wise this is not this is not the most efficient way of doing things is I've just reached out to as many people from the station's history as I can and I'm currently waiting for a whole lot of questionnaires to come back so my idea is to get kind of everyone to tell well a whole lot of people to tell the story rather than me trying to tell it from sort of print you know print archives of 40 years because a lot of the, the, oh, a the lot of the history in those are really useful oh no absolutely uh, totally but what I'm getting at is like those places are about all the individual stories. It's all in salient. That's all right, the individual yeah. stories piecing together. You know, I, th- I think, I hope. Yeah. Because well, it's not um, a place. Me, that, yeah. This sorry? might be boring. This might be boring podcast, but we should definitely take this conversation. And I can. I've still got all the names, and there's some really fascinating people that. Um, oh, wow. You know, came through the doors of radioactive, not just the obvious names too. And what have you got, like, um, recordings with them? Yeah, or just their contacts. I had a whole oh, fantastic. Um, spread, spreadsheet. Um, you know, there were people who went off to um, did sort of development and aid work or spearheaded a lot of the development programs for the United Nations. Wow. And, and, How did you track uh, these people down? Sub-Saharan, pardon me? How did you track these people down, just asking around? Yeah. Um, I just... I can't remember how. That's just what I do. I track people down. Maybe I should start like a side hustle as a private investigator. <laughs> can always fall back on that. It doesn't take mm. doesn't take much to get a I mean, uh, to get you know, if you've got an anthropology and a, <laughs> you've got an anthropology degree in, in your back pocket, then you're always snooping around wanting to know what people are up to. So you find yourself back in Wellington. I think you did do a stint at Active for a bit, right? But it didn't really didn't really didn't really um Oh my my claim really feeling is it? I got to fill in for Sam Hayes. Great. Issue that was about as that was about the glittering heights of radioactive for me. But um, you've kind of felt like you actually. I heard you saying something that I've actually thought for a long time about active. I think they, in my words, I think they kind of missed the boat with news and editorial. Like it's sort of um that that side of their content at the time was a little bit lacking, right? Like talking There's to people no about interest stuff in it at all. Yeah, yeah, there was in the past. I can tell you that because you know I remember doing shows where such you know and I yeah I remember it's something that just um. For a number of reasons I probably won't really get into, from my perspective, um, it kind of just became very music-focused, and I always felt like it kind of could be, could have been a, a, more, a more active version, whatever active is, an active version of RNZ in many ways, you know, a kind of very localised Wellington version, but it wasn't, yeah. and it was interesting hearing you... I'm, you know, I'm quoting yourself to yourself here, kind of saying as much um, about why you felt... T- you would move on to somewhere else, which was weirdly back to 
Victoria, even though you weren't a student, how come they let a non-student who was a bit older <laughs> be be the breakfast host on Victoria Broadcasting or whatever it was called? I don't remember how that – I actually can't remember how that happened. I'm, I really don't. Do people like – and don't take this the wrong way because I'm talking about the realities of low-power FM here. Were people mm-hmm. listening to it? No idea. Right. But you must have got um, calls and stuff. Yeah, I mean, we get pretty interesting interviews, and some people liked it. I know, I, I was, um, yeah, I don't really remember that much of that time because I was also working full time. I don't so know. How you, do I don't know how you did that. I just used to find doing so I did those my hours breakfast enough. show, and then I'd go to normal work. Oh my god, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, with kids as well. Oh no, I was, I was pregnant at the time, <laughs> oh, and then so still I was, even that, my gosh, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh wow. So I mean, yeah. So like, is does Vic still have a radio station, or was that a thing that kind of? I don't think it does anymore. It was Salient FM, and last I saw, um, the, the last I saw of it was that Viewser had, or between the university and the Students Association, they'd sort of quietly mothballed it i think and it's been very difficult to find out what actually happened but um i don't know i feel like there's definitely a place for active to return um to create that relationship you know you don't have to be on campus so much as to cultivate those connections yeah yeah um again it's another story there's a lot to it um when, when all of that went down just before my time when i got involved but um, mm-hmm. I think the I think the powers that be at that time because it was actually a different. It's long it's long ago enough that I can say it was a different world then. Um, basically, didn't understand or like the bunch of long hairs in the corner of the building. Well, know, it was also ideological whole, at the time. Well, you know, there was this ideology. Um, a lot of student associations and a lot of unions and you know groups like. Uh, non-governmental organisations like YMCA, YWCA, sorry, they owned a lot of property and assets. And it was at a time where, oh, those aren't your core function. You should strip back to your core function. It was very ideological. Yeah, totally. Cut into the neoliberal era of, like, why why is this here if it's not making money? And there were a lot of students that agitated, you know, a kind of a lot of – maybe future act people who were on campus at the time who agitated that way. But it was also, as I say, a kind of misunderstanding of who was involved. One of the PDs told me only recently, very seriously, that the caretaker thought that we were devil worshippers. Is that old Collins from who? Who the caretaker? It might have been. No, Paddy Paddy Moran was the PD, but, yeah, he said the caretaker, it turned out, was genuinely scared of him and us because there was a poster that was had some reference to Satan at the time, which was just, you know, shock 90s stuff, but he really thought that we were a, a, a collective of Antichrist people in the corner of the building. Ah, oh, they were different times. <laughs> different times. Yeah. Um... So you make it back to, yeah, we've already done that. You came back to Wellington, you stint on active, and then, and then, no and then, um, you finally get to pitch the doco, the doco mm-hmm. idea to RNZ. Remember how I talked about football? Yeah. Yeah, so. It's, it's a, so it's happened a that one of my teammates 
works here at RNZ. That's all you need. He's like, we're looking for ideas. And yeah. I was like, I've got an idea. Yeah, that's how it happened. So it's, it's what's it, this, this is a very um, low-key description. It's substantive. It's about four hours. That's a lot more at the other end than an idea. Um, well, I have to I, I've never made John anything for, for, for cracking the whip on me and teaching me everything I know because it was right. they just people. I don't know. I don't know how they just entrusted me with with the task and just left me to it. And I think there must have been about forty six interviews that I conducted. Wow! Yeah, it's which actually again is an excellent way to learn how to make things and how to get better at interviewing. Again, I would never want to listen back to those interviews. But also, you're asking people to talk about a time that, you know, I hate the term salad days, but it is. It is. No, absolutely absolutely to, it is. It's formative. It's a whole yeah, lot of things. Yeah. It's a whole lot so, of stuff coming in at a really, um, you know, at a period of a lot of people's lives where, you know, that's really full on and beneficial for them. Yep. Totally. Yeah, and it often is the stepping stone for whatever they went on to do. So it wasn't hard to get people to talk about it. What's really interesting about um, student radio is for some people that was the absolute pinnacle of whatever they achieved and it seems like they're always trying yeah. to return to that <laughs> for other people. Yeah, but, yeah, Like yeah, I said, yeah. it's a stepping stone. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just really nice to hear people's stories. Yeah. And um, and just that thing of just that thing of sometimes when you care about something so much, you can almost surprise yourself with what you can achieve. Who's this? You? No, no. The people, you know, yeah. people who are involved yeah, yeah, yeah. at yeah. BFM at the time or RDU at the time or Radio 1 or Radioactive or, you know, the sort of tragic story of what happened to um, – Hamilton, you know, Waikato yeah, yeah, yeah. to, to their station. But it was always people just going above and beyond themselves to so how long create did it, something. How, yeah. how long did it take you from pitch to getting the first episode on air? Must have been at least uh, a year. Uh, uh, it was, I started a... Oh God! I wish you'd, I, I probably should have done a bit more research to. to oh, to, just ballpark, like you know, a year, six months, oh, two years. Been, yeah, it must have been less, less than a year. That's, and that's then it was extraordinary. Just like, I spent all of summer locked in an editing room. Have, had you ever had you radio. ever made a documentary before that? No. Nope. Well, <laughs> that's that's extraordinary. Again, well done. All credit to Kirsten Johnstone, who patiently taught me how to do it, and you know she's a. She's such a um, passionate person about audio-driven stories. And she's such a, um, I wouldn't say perfectionist, but she's a real taskmaster and a craftsperson. Look, there's, and she's such a great person to learn from. There's things that I've, you know, because one of the perks of being a teacher is you're actually constantly learning yourself because often, you know, not everything you go to teach, you know inside out. So, you know, even what I know about, like, the fundamentals, you know, the universal fundamentals of storytelling and structure that I didn't know when I was, for example, doing the Brecky show would take me leaps and bounds further into being able to pull off something like that. So, um, you know, I'd imagine that 
you had a schooling and all of that, like what's the inciting, you know, what, what kicks this episode off? What moves it forward? If you haven't done any of that before, you know, it's like there's basic rules, right? I'm, I'm assuming that you kind of didn't know a lot of that going in. Uh, it's so funny because now it's just second nature. Yeah, totally. I, I, I think, and I don't know why. Um, I just, yeah, I've I got no to apologise there. I, I don't know why to, I said to you that I, I, I thought I thought you wouldn't. It's just it's actually because of what I heard. I've heard you say about it. Like I just figured that I realised you were kind of greener to it than I thought you were based on what came out. So it's a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> it's a compliment to oh, the thanks. statement. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's again. It's a, it, you know how I said that the most fascinating part of that series was the fact that people you know you almost go beyond yourself or outside of your skin to create and do things that you would have never imagined you know that these people who are sort of 18 and 19 years old were um putting up transmitter masts or making um applications to the broadcasting powers that be or trying to set up a tv station or all the things that they tried to do in some ways i suppose that was what Making the doco was like as well, yeah, and a right. really, really yeah, condensed yeah. micro form yeah. of that, and it was that thing. It's of, very meta. Yeah, and it was that <laughs> thing of I felt felt the weight of you know this is something that's going to be on on national radio on RNZ. Oh, absolutely! Um, but also, it was a story I felt really passionate about and felt obliged to do properly. So it didn't matter, you know. Like, let us not look at the hourly rate, is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, I think often, more often than not in my life, the things I think that it costs I, me more than the things I make them the best hourly rate from are probably the things I'm least in, emotionally invested in, and then the things that yeah. I spend the most time on. Are, but isn't it great to have that luxury to be able to exist in both? Um, yeah, and such. A, and then so the whole. Eventually, it was like I'd come. I treated it like a job. So I'd come in every day at RNZ and do my interviews, and I'd start editing. And then eventually, they were like, "Ugh." Suppose we better give you a swipe card, yeah. like because you know they have someone have to come and keep getting me. I was like, okay, step one, I've got a got a swipe card, and you've never left. That's it. I've got that same swipe card. Yeah, that was part of my dastardly plan. Well, there's a whole lot. Be around a, enough. There's like, and also like, um, I think the timing was really good. Like when you when you you know um, suggested that that topic as a as a doco, and then of course the the. I think the I think the um Paul Kessley made a visual doco came out too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As well. And um, I wasn't going to ask this; it just sprung to mind. It's like I sort of dwell on the. On oh, the, can on I the just say that, he gave me such amazing stories? Great ones that could not go on air, but he had some brilliant stories. I wasn't going to ask this, but dwell on the on the negative with things, but. I just know from even just articles I've written that involve a lot of people, and you can't you can't include all those people because again, it's the it's what how storytelling works, you know. Did you did anyone whinge? Did you get any whinges after it came out? Oh, it was such a long time ago, okay. so I don't remember. Oh, there would have been a couple who yeah. a couple of trade spotters where we've got something actually incorrect somewhere well i could t- I reel off a whole lot of things i like about it but here's one very particular thing i liked how you let each piece of music breathe in between each bit of um narrative i thought that's very apt for student radio often that's music takes a great i cannot take any credit for that i do do that now in my pieces thanks yeah. to learning that little piece of craft from her 
but yeah. I cannot take any credit for that. Okay, lastly, there seems to be a lot of deflecting in me trying to give you praise for, for making this t- t- taco. The last thing I'll say is, you said, and I quote you, um, that if you did it again, you'd do some stuff differently. Um, I mean, that's just that's just the creator's kind of dilemma, isn't it, reflecting on stuff? Well, what did you mean there? What would you have done differently? Oh, what would I have done differently? I think there are a few people I didn't push hard enough to track down. Yeah. I think I might have, I would have approached the interviews quite differently and I would have maybe used, I would have used a different research approach than I did. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Um, I might be allowed to tell you now that I'm actually about to pull up the old folders out of the archives and I might be giving them a little spruce up. Are you doing like a director's cut? Here's the thing. Episode four was the first time I was left alone to make an entire episode. Oh, wow. So you did all the editing, all the post, everything. I did everything myself. It was my first time I was, you know, left alone to do it. And it it needs to tidy up. (laughs) So you're going to do a director's cut of episode four? Yes, I am. I've got I've got notes that I wrote years ago of like, oh, that that needs changing, and I haven't quite had the stomach to return to it, even though I have it's the a, notes. It's an oddly ex- but, uh, oddly oddly sp- a, oddly a, specific director's cut redux it's of a, that. It's an oddly specific, but at the same time, um, nerdily exciting piece of news. Thank you. <laughs> also, I had an ear horn to let off here, <laughs> like the BBC yeah. One Extra exclusive sound. Warning, warning, warning. This is a, this is a, this is a, your DJ name here. Exclusive. Um, yeah, so they will be saying, they, they may be seeing the light of day again. Um, so again, things you have, you have just probably barely remember now from years ago, so I'll just quickly brush over them. Taxi DJs was fun, and the reason I'm mentioning that, that story you did, is because I have learnt a lot, particularly when I lived in Melbourne, and I spent a lot more time in cabs late at night, from cab drivers, and that's how I found out about Bally Sagu, who's like a, uh, an Indian kind of um, super DJ. So there you go. And taxi drivers always like very reasonably surprised when a white fellow that was a really queries them fun on their music. Story. Oh, you do remember? The it. Great. thing is that there's a video <laughs> that we did a video piece of that. But um, this is a, one of the things where I should probably get better at editing video, and then I could just make them myself. But that kind of fell by the wayside in the hands of someone who was in charge of that. That would have been great. They were great talent, those taxi drivers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's always fun going out and doing stories in the field. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I've actually thought about, you know, um, Lucy from Peanuts, her psychiatrist stand? Yes, So, yes. So picture that, but like a podcast version, like um, maybe a Vox pod, I could call it. It's like having three or four predetermined questions that I answer anyone that's that I ask anyone who sits down with me in a public space and then just editing down that as a podcast episode. Kind of a My snapshot be, of I'd like, Greater Auckland. I'd like that set up. Yeah. Because it's very reminiscent of a, what I'd imagine a lemonade stand to look like, but I would dispense songs to people. So I'd do musical descriptions. <laughs> what, you, how do you They'd give come it to and them? tell me well, what how do you give them? Wrong. How do you, would you send them a, like a Spotify link or something? Yeah, I would make them a little playlist. 
And what? W- how does it work? While you're sitting there, my idea works better practically. Do you record their responses? No, no, I wouldn't make anything out of it. I'd just be a, you know, dispensing right, okay. music. Oh, that's music beautiful. dispenser MD. Yeah. Like the a music sort, doctor. Like a sort of a little kind of one person festival in the middle of urban spaces, maybe. But really bespoke. <laughs> be like, tell me, you know, what do you need some music for? Okay, let me pull some songs for you. Here's five songs for you. <laughs> now, um, we're winding down now, but come to the seri- more serious part of the, of the conversation. Um, I've decided I've been asking people more this lately, in sort of general terms. Um, how are you coping with the current state of the world? I mean, um, that's so huge. <laughs> I think. As a mother, as, a, as an activist. As a storyteller, as a, I've, I've now as an empath, as a dormant, I'm a dormant activist. Nah, I'm never, waiting for ne- my never, return. Never to, such. There's not such a thing. I'm waiting to strike again. Ha ha ha. Um, excuse the pun. Um, <laughs> how am I feeling about it? I think, and amongst all, well, I find in these times actually history is a really useful thing to look back on because throughout history we've always had endemics. We've had war, um, you know, there are people who have gone without. So maybe the last 80 years were the aberration in history that we haven't had a contagion that was threatening us, that we've been so hypermobile more than we ever have been before. We've been Um, lucky in a lot of ways in that regard, yeah. That's what I mean. It's 80 years of an aberration, like never in the time of human history have we been so hypermobile, yeah. you know, that you wouldn't think of anything to just jumping over to another country for a weekend or, yeah. you know, making multiple trips around the world. Um, and then, and amongst all that, we still have real life, you know, people yeah. still need to put food on the table, people still need to um, have a roof over their heads, you know, people are born, people die. Um, and so, you know, and amongst all these big things of a pandemic or, um, you know, economic uncertainty or civil unrest, people still need to have babies, get married, go to hospital, grieve people they've lost. So, um, and that's pretty much, there's been a bit of that for me this year. So, you know, I I guess it's just a time to focus on the small things and just be really grateful that, that I am in a position to do that. That's right. So that's one. Number two is my family from Burma. So that's been a really hard thing to watch unfold. Um, I have a cousin over there, and I believe he's had to go into hiding because they've been raiding street by street. Um, And my auntie's gone into hiding. You know, my cousins also have all their families there. My auntie just lost her mum over there, who's, who's elderly. Yeah. But the assumption was her children may make it back to the home country, but with a pandemic and civil unrest, yeah, yeah. that was just not possible. And then, you know, there's just things like, how do you even transport a deceased person across town when you've got roadblocks and yeah, civil mili- unrest? Military, you know, that's what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Of like people, not only these big things happening, but people still have to navigate the everyday tragedies. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, I'm sure this is the case for every immigrant kid where that notion of where home is is drummed into you. It is that country. And just seeing again that, you know, we have, they have a government that 
this basically acts um, enacts terrorism on its own people yeah. for everyone to watch and just being so powerless to be able to do anything. You know, there was initially so much um, hope that people were taking to the streets and uprising, and now it's just cold, hard fear because it's descended into kind of a chaos, people. right? Yeah. Have you been? Have you been back to Myanmar? I have. The- I went. I went to Burma. Um, when, in, when I was about twenty-one, yeah. and so everything was very still closed up yeah. then. Um, people wouldn't talk to you. You know, you'd be followed. You'd have to um, log every place you go to. You couldn't stay with relatives because they'd have to sign in with their local authorities. And then the next time we went was after. Um, power and quote unquote and you know and in inverted commas was um shared with the NLD, which is the National League for Democracy, which is, is, is Al Suchi Dor Suchi's party. Is that mid to like two thousand ten around then when the, that Yeah, two thousand um yeah, so we were so, in yeah, yeah, two thousand and twelve. Yeah. And it was amazing. You saw a lightness in people. Wow. People yeah. like even though they were economically no better off, just the sense of politic some form of political freedom. It was really, a really interesting um, change to see. It made me realise so short-lived. You see that, and then only a few years later, we're where we are. Yeah, but the thing was that it was never the NLD in power. Yeah. You know, maybe the West thought that that was the case, but it was it was always the Thamador, which is the military government. Um, yeah, and then... Oh, so it was a ruse. Yeah, it was always... Yeah, it was just window dressing, always window dressing. And it's always been, I mean, the thing with Burma is that even since the day of um, pre-colonial kings, you know, those empires have always been troublesome and there's always been an inequitable um, distribution of the wealth and resources. So, you know, in a very Burmese Buddhist way, it's just your karma, right? This is so interesting. I won't keep you too much longer. Another thing I've got to ask now is you, 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 you say Burma, I, you know, I say mm. Myan, Myanmar. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What's, Myanmar. What's Myanmar? What's what's the story there? Like, I'll never call it. Yeah, I'll never call it Myanmar. That's yeah. the name from the government. I mean, yeah. you're damned if you do, and you're damned yeah. if you don't, because you either call it the name of the colonizers, or you call it the the name of the military dictatorship. I had it's that, not really had much that, of a choice. I had that question in my head yesterday when I did some reading, and I I wondered about that. What to refer to the country as, you know? It's, it's interesting, yeah. Um, you know, it's it was Aung San Suu Kyi's father that tried to unite the federation of tribes that were loosely the country of Burma or Bamabi. Yeah. And Bama is one tribe. It's the dominant people, ethnic group. And so she, she, oh, we're going to go on too long. I've got too many questions. Last couple, is, is that why you're... Um, I haven't even asked. Is it both your parents who are from there, or one? Yep. Is that why? Yeah. Is that why they initially came to New Zealand because of the? Ah, this unrest? is a whole other <laughs> story. We could leave it. Okay, you probably There's a whole get back another to work. story. Yeah, yeah. It goes to Sir Bernard Ferguson, who was the former Governor General yeah. in New Zealand. My grand uncle, who was a District Governor at the time yeah. and was part of the displaced um, government of the time of the '62 coup. Yeah. Uh, and then he did some pretty interesting stuff when he came to New Zealand, um, being a teacher at Rongatai College, oh. um, being the community liaison community worker for Black Power, who yep. started the Workplace Trusts, 
um, and was, you know, up there with Eva Rickard and other esteemed leaders in Maoridom. Good old Burma Bill. He's a whole nother story. And two quick last things to close. One on that topic and then another um, another one to coast us in for a landing. Um, is there a Burmese population of size in Wellington and have you stayed connected to, to that community over the years? Um, I'm more connected to the Auckland yeah. community. There's a huge diaspora now. They're in Nelson, here in Wellington, Palmerston North, and definitely in Auckland, like yeah. a lot more than I ever grew up with. And so when everyone says, oh, your Burmese is so, you know, it's a bit all over the place. I can still speak it. I'm still fluent and I still understand it. Wow. Um, but it's like, I had no one to talk to, you know. There's a critical mass now. I'm always fascinated for the kids who are growing up like me, you know, the yeah. the, the, the ones who are doing this in the 90s and the 2000s. Um, thank you so much. I actually just realised I've got to go and teach a class in 10 minutes. So Off lastly, I was Off going to go. say, um, Final Mix is great. It's really fun and everyone oh, should watch you. it. And I think I w- that might be the first and last of it. Why? I don't know. I don't know if oh, they're going to do it again. Okay. I, don't know if they will. Um, yeah. I just watched the Church and AP one before we started chatting and had a good giggle. They're, they're lovely boys. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love them. They are so onto it. Like, yeah. Church is just yeah. such a musical nerd. It's great. great. Hey, thank you. Um, You're welcome. You've laid the um, uh, invitation out now, so I will be in touch about maybe getting some active resources off you for this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Article. Yeah, okay. cool. Off you go. Bye-bye. See Another hot mix exclusive. Another hot mix exclusive. The 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 baddest tunes. From the dopest DJ. The 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 baddest tunes. From the dopest DJ. The baddest tunes. From the dopest DJ. Kill him with the music. Party harder. Kill him with the music. Party harder. Kill him with the music. Party harder. The DJ just came. The DJ just came. 
DJ just came. The DJ just came.